Welcome to the Higher Ed Retire Podcast with your host, Greg Shepard. Greg is a fee-only financial advisor who specializes in helping those in higher education to take control of their retirement. Since 2001, Greg has helped employees all over the country make the most of their retirement plans. Hey there, folks. Greg Shepard here with Higher Ed Retire Podcast. I do appreciate you all hanging out with me here today for a number of minutes for your day. We're going to get into the topic of saving and paying for your kids' education. Now, there's going to be a few ways you can do this here in terms of saving and paying for your kids' education. But I tell you what, I am just going to focus on one of those strategies, which is the 529 plan. Now, this 529 plan, I tell you what, it's evolved over the years to where you can actually use this account for other educational purposes, meaning as of 2017, there was actually legislation in passed. I know this is all fun stuff, but you can use these accounts to pay for qualified expenses associated with private elementary and private high school. And as a matter of fact, these types of accounts, 529s, they've evolved to the point where they get pretty confusing as to what you can and can't use them for. So for the sake of time and everybody's sanity out there, I'm going to spend time talking about a few main points that you should know about when it comes to these 529 accounts. And I tell you what, folks, I'm only going to be talking about using them for higher education as, as I get going here with this podcast. But I tell you what, if you have questions personally about using these 529 accounts for reasons other than higher education, please just let me know. Shoot me an email and I'll get you taken care of. Remember, you can find my contact information at www.higheredretire.com. All right, folks, let's go ahead and kick it off by talking about costs and costs associated with college. Now, most of you out there listening, you all live in the higher education world, so you may not be shocked when I get into some cost, some of these costs associated with college. Even for those of you out there not in higher education, I think we all have a pretty good idea of what college costs. Of course, there's going to be a lot of variables, but generally speaking, it's going to be enough to make your head spin, right? And with those of you out there with multiple kids, I don't know how you do it. I really feel sorry for you. I shouldn't say I feel sorry for you. I feel for you when it comes to paying for some of these costs. So college is expensive. Now, how expensive, you ask? Well, it's pretty simple here. You can go ahead and find that information all over the Internet. Go ahead and Google tuition costs of in-state and or out-of-state. And, of course, you can do the same thing for public and private and you'll start to get a feel for what I'm talking about here. But just to give you an idea, you're looking at somewhere around, what, 10, 12, maybe $15,000 for in-state tuition per year and around 25 to 30000 for out-of-state per year. Private, of course, that's going to cost you a little bit more. I think we all understand that. Personally, you know, i got a 7-year-old girl. I uh, don't have to worry about college for a few years now, but I can give you an idea of where she's going to go. Well, what state she's going to go college in. Now, we live in the greater Kansas City area on the Kansas side. And uh, honestly, I know my wife, you know, my daughter's mother, she's not going to let our daughter out of earshot when it comes to college. So I'm guessing around a two-hour radius is in store for my girl when she goes to college. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. Honestly, when it comes to costs and costs associated with college, I'm not even sure how colleges can keep raising tuition the way it's going, generally speaking. Now, on average, tuition costs are raising around, 
I'd say 5 to 8% per year. It kind of depends on where you get that information. And people's wages out there are just not keeping up with that figure each year. The rising costs of tuition, in my opinion, is just not sustainable. And, and you know what? Something's got to give. Unfortunately, we find the world that we're in today, you know, it may take a pandemic to be the catalyst uh, in this regard. You know, as I talk today, which is August of 2020, we've got the COVID pandemic taking place. And it looks like higher education, as well as all levels of education, but specifically higher education, may be forced to look a little different going forward. I don't know how you get around it. At least in the the short term, it's definitely going to be different. But is this going to be the catalyst? You know, those four-year higher education quote-unquote normal schools, are we going to knock it down to two? Are you going to get your master's in a lesser years? Are you going to get your undergrad in lesser years, more online? What's it going to look like? Is there a hybrid? Okay, so you kind of get the idea. Let's move on here. So a popular question I get is how much should you be saving for college? Now, for most of you, the answer is you're not saving enough. You're not even coming close. But hey, that includes me as well, okay? Put me in that boat. I'm not saving nearly enough as we do this podcast here today. But to put things in perspective, most parents out there, they're going to be saving about 30% of the total cost of college. So that kind of gives you an idea of what most people out there are doing. The rest of that cost, it's going to be up to either scholarships or little Johnny working at the local bowling alley, just like I did to help foot the bill. Yes, yours truly worked at a bowling alley at nights as I went to school. And yes, I have all kinds of interesting slash funny stories about that. I'd love to get into them right now, but I guess I I digress a little bit. You all don't want to hear any of those stories, right? So let's go ahead and move on. So I don't want to focus too much on the gloom and doom of costs and costs associated with college. So let's go ahead and get into the features of the 529 plan and why I think it's the best thing going out there for paying for higher education. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to focus or highlight six topics surrounding the 529 plan. Now, remember, there's going to be a lot of features, both good and bad, that I just don't have time to get into with this particular podcast. So I encourage you to either reach out to me personally with your questions, or I tell you what, a great resource to get a wealth of information regarding 529s, it's at a website. The website address is www.savingforcollege.com. I tell you what, I think that website is fantastic, and I'll actually be referencing said website a lot throughout this podcast. So first topic here, what are we going to talk about here first? Well, let's talk about which 529 plan should you invest in? Now, I'm not sure if each particular state has their own 529 plan, but if they don't, most will. So most states have their own 529 plan, and and, and this confuses a lot of people out there. A lot of people I talk to are of the thought that they can only invest in their own state's 529 plan. Well, that's simply not true. However, that may be the best option for you. So let's go ahead and unpack that a little bit here. You can, as an investor, invest in any state's 529 plan, not just your own states. Now, in most states, your choice of college is not affected by the state that sponsored your 529 plan. Let me let me do that again here. So listen closely. In most states, your choice of college is not affected by the state that sponsored your 529 plan. So 
Let me give you an example here. Uh, let's say you live in California, invest in Vermont's 529 plan, and send your child to college in, eh, let's go for North Carolina. So all of that is feasible. You can do that. Now, I'm going to get into some tax-related issues later, but absent of taxes, with the information I just gave you about investing in any state's 529 plan, your next question should be, which state offers the best plan? Well, I'm going to go back to that website I referenced here earlier. It's a great place to find out all kinds of information on each state's plan. Again, the website I'm talking about is www.savingforcollege.com. However, I'm going to do you a little bit of a favor and get into some information I got straight off that website. So as an investor, I'd be interested personally in which plan has the lowest fees and which plan a third party rates the best. So, of course, in this case, the third party is going to be that website, www.savingforcollege.com. So we're going to look at fees and which one that website rates as the best in their opinion overall. So according to that website, the top three plans that had the lowest fees, you got West Virginia's Smart 529 plan. Next, you got Florida's 529 plan, no particular order, and South Carolina's Scholar Future 529 plan. So you got West Virginia, Florida, and South Carolina. Now again, going back to that website, savingforcollege.com, the top three overall best-rated plans. Now there's going to be a lot of criteria, a few criteria they use for this ranking, but the top three overall you're looking at New York's 529 plan, Ohio's 529 college advantage plan, and Michigan's education savings plan. Okay, so again, you got New York, you got Ohio, and you got Michigan. So there you have it. You know, you can take it for what it's worth, but at least you have some insight from a third party, I think a reputable third party, that's going to let you know which state's plans are not only cheap, but good as well. But again, I really do encourage you to either shoot me an email or go ahead for yourself and go to that website, www.savingforcollege.com, to do some of your own research. If you shoot me an email, I'll help you out as well. One more thing on that real quick. That website, savingforcollege.com, I tell you what, it does have a section telling you which state's plans have the best performance, because I know a lot of you out there are thinking, well, maybe I want the plan that performed the best. I mean, that's pretty logical and justifiable, but you have to be careful there. Because you never know what the future brings regarding any kind of performance. I don't, I don't think you should pick a plan solely based on past performance. Now, you know, feel free to use past performance as one of your criteria. But I personally, I'd be more interested in fees rather than past performance. Because remember, most of these plans out there, they're going to be invested in index-related investments anyways. So the only difference between some of these plans are their fees. Okay, one last thing here, one more thing regarding which plan you should pick. So when you start researching this on your own, you're going to run into two different kinds of plans. One's going to be direct sold, and the other is going to be called advisor sold. Folks, there is no reason in the world why you need to pay someone like myself to help you out with this. Now, years ago, these 529 plans, they were more advisor sold, meaning an advisor like myself would get a commission when we put our clients, you know, people like you in these types of accounts. But folks, after the word got out that an advisor, for the most part, does absolutely nothing in these accounts, you saw those advisor sold products becoming a lot more rare, okay, a lot, lot more rare. 
you know, I've had all kinds of clients ask me to help them out with these 529 plans. And, you know, guess what I do? I basically schedule an online appointment with them, talk to them about two, maybe three different plans that are my favorite. We pick one that they like and are comfortable with. We go to that state's plans website. We next enroll them, and that's it. Whole thing takes about 20 minutes, I'd say. And there's no way I could justify charging some sort of commission on that. Now, these are clients that are already clients that are paying me a management fee for investment management and other financial planning-related services. So I just add that as an added bonus or an added feature to my firm. Folks, if your advisor has charged you a commission or they're charging you what we call a management fee, okay, for, for managing, in quotes here, managing that account, in my opinion, you needed to fire that person yesterday. I don't really care how nice that advisor is. I've heard it all. You know, we're all somewhat nice in this business or we wouldn't make it in the business to begin with. In my opinion, an advisor shouldn't be charging on 529 accounts, period. Okay, I think you know where I stand on that one. Let's go ahead and move on here. Uh, next topic I'd like to discuss is who actually owns that account, that 529 account. A big misnomer I run across with clients all the time is that they believe the child is going to own that account once they that child reaches age of majority. Not true, folks. Now, there's going to be other types of accounts where that's going to be true, but not with 529s. So let's go ahead and use my family as an example, as a quick example. I personally, I have a 529 plan for my daughter. She's seven, and I, I own the account. Now, my wife, she's going to be a co-account holder, but I'm the main owner. Not a big difference as to who the main owner and co-owner is. Not a big difference here regarding which spouse owns that account. And basically what that is, it's going to say, if I predecease my wife, she's going to become the, the main owner, okay? The main point here I want to get across is that my daughter will never own this account. Hey, I think all your kids out there are great, and I'm sure they all have the best of intentions. But what about when they turn 18 or age of majority for your state? You all remember what you were like when you were 18 or thereabouts, 18, 19, 17 years old? Now, I'm super confident that my little girl is going to have a great head on her shoulders when she's 18. But you believe me, there is no way on God's green earth will she even ever be tempted by that money in that account. Now, that's the protection that a 529 plan offers you and, for the most part, your family as well. Next question I get is, what happens if our little Johnny or little Sally decides not to go to higher education, right? Pretty logical. What happens to that account? Now, there's going to be more scenarios than what I'm about to share with you. Again, I encourage you to do your own research here, but most likely you're looking into either transferring that money to someone else like their sibling, another sibling, or just taking it as income, as personal income. Again, I know, I get it, there's going to be other scenarios out there, but those are going to be, for the most part, the two most popular. So if little Johnny or little Sally decides not to go to college, but Johnny or Sally's siblings, sibling, has intentions on higher education, then you can transfer that account to that sibling without penalty or any tax liability. Ownership, it's going to remain the same. It's just the beneficiary is going to change over from little Johnny or little Sally over to their sibling. Okay, pretty simple here. 
actually that account can be transferred to anyone. Now, when I say anyone, it may yeah, it may have to be a family member. I'm not totally positive on that one, so you will have to research that or shoot me an email. I can find that out pretty easily. Uh, but for the most part, typically that, that account's going to transfer to someone uh, within the family. It doesn't necessarily have to be the immediate family for educational purposes. Now, of course, this is going to be more rare, but maybe mom or dad, maybe they're looking to go back to school for whatever reason, okay? Mom or dad could actually use those funds for that purpose, that higher education purpose. Again, looking at no penalty or tax liability for that purpose. Okay, next topic, which is a pretty popular topic or maybe a question I get often. So what qualifies as a qualified distribution? I'm not even sure if I spoke about it yet or I'm going to speak about it, but distributions, if they're qualified, they're coming out tax-free. So I tell you what, I'm going to read this straight off the website, www.savingforcollege.com's website. Uh, again, as I've mentioned before, it's a great resource for all this stuff that is 529. Okay, so here we go. A 529 plan is an investment account that offers tax-free earnings growth and tax-free withdrawals when the funds are used to pay for qualified education expenses for college, university, and other eligible post-secondary educational institutions. This includes tuition fees, books, supplies, equipment, computers, and sometimes room and board. The IRS also allows tax-free withdrawals of up to $10,000 per year per beneficiary to pay for tuition expenses at private, public, and religious K-12 schools. Going a little further here, one more thing I'll add is that tax-free distributions may be used to repay federal and private student loans. Now, dig deeper into that one, do some research, uh, email me, okay, but I know that can be done. There might be some stipulations, but... Let's go with that for now, but make sure you do your own research in that regard. Okay, let's move on here. Hopefully you got all that I just spoke about. If not, folks, just shoot me an email, okay? I'll get you straightened out. I'll help you out. But let's go ahead and dive into the fun and exciting world of taxes. I know, snore, snore, snore. This is another popular question or topic I run across quite a bit. I'll tell you what, for those of you out there doing uh, your own taxes, I've run across this at least a few times that I can remember just in the last couple of years. So for most of you out there, you can deduct your contributions on your state tax return. So I've had clients contribute to these accounts a number of times over the years, but had no idea they could deduct these contributions on the returns. I tell you what, I've been sitting across the table from some people and I've told them that they could and you should have seen their eyes light up when I tell them this stuff. It's just something they simply overlook. But nonetheless, they're always pretty happy, pretty pleased to go back and amend prior year's returns to capitalize on that. And yes, you can do that. Go back and amend your returns to get that deduction on your state tax return. Okay, so I'm not sure if I mentioned this one before or not, but in the majority of states, the full amount or a portion of a taxpayer's 529 plan contribution is deductible in computing state income tax. Okay, I have mentioned that, but I uh, just want to reiterate that. Now, there's seven states. Currently, they have a state income tax, but do not offer a deduction for contributions. So those seven states happen to be California, Delaware, Hawaii, Kentucky, Maine, New Jersey, and North Carolina. Now, let's all remember, I am not a CPA. I don't even try to act like one. So 
If you have a specific tax question that pertains to you, I hate to tell you this, but don't even email me uh, regarding that tax question because all I'm going to do is tell you that, you know what, that's a great question, and it's a question you should direct to your CPA. But I tell you what, one of the easiest things you can do is after you've done research and solidified a state's 529 plan that you want to use, one that you're comfortable with, please just go ahead and go to their website. I tell you what, I bet they're going to have all kinds of information on that website to help you out. And honestly, most questions regarding these 529 plans are going to be pretty simple and can either be found, let's see, on that state's 529 website or savingforcollege.com or simply by contacting me. Shamelessly, I'll give you out my contact information again, but you can find it at www.higheredretire.com. Now, I want everybody out there to keep paying attention, so let's go ahead and stick on this theme of taxes, right? An annual contribution to a 529 plan in excess of the $15,000 annual gift tax exclusion. Now, that's going to be $30,000 for a couple giving together. That's going to be eligible for what's called a five-year gift tax averaging. Pretty fun stuff, right? which this is going to treat the gift or the contribution as occurring proportionately over a five-year period. Okay, I hope you got all that. This is going to allow an individual to make a lump sum contribution to a 529 plan of up to $75,000. Now, that's going to be $150,000 for a couple without incurring those gift taxes. So basically what we're talking about here is when uh, Granny and Grandpa when they want to make big contributions, it's when folks out there, usually family members, want to give a big contribution or gifts to little Johnny or to little Sally's 529 plan. So in a true act of honesty, I just learned about this five-year gift tax rule. So if you have questions over it, again, please don't email me. I hate to keep telling people, uh, all of you out there, not to email me. But if it includes taxes, your best bet is to go to your CPA. Now, you can ask me questions via email. I'll do my best to answer it, but most of the times, if it's dealing with taxes, I'm going to direct you over to your CPA. Okay, so thankfully, looks like I'm done talking about taxes here. You know, there's going to be probably a lot more regarding 529s and taxes, but I tell you what, honestly, if I keep talking about it, I'm just going to give myself a headache or probably just start dozing off, as most of you out there will probably start doing as well. So let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about the fun wide world of financial aid. Pretty good transition, right? Taxes to financial aid. This, again, it's going to be a very popular question. It comes up quite a bit around these 529 plans, you know, justifiably so. But how is this going to impact you as parents, parent parents, getting financial aid for little Johnny's education? And I tell you what, here's what I'm going to do surrounding this topic of financial aid. The best resource for all things related to 529s and financial aid, it's going to be found at that website that I've referenced a few times here, okay? It's going to be www.savingforcollege.com. I'm going to go ahead and attach a link to the show notes here where you can click on that. It's going to direct you to an awesome video, a very short video. But there's also all kinds, all sorts of literature around this subject of financial aid. So I'd say... You know, it's a pretty good cop-out on my end, right, uh, that I don't have to deal with getting into the weeds about financial aid, just passing that buck, huh? But in all seriousness, please do your, yourself a favor and check out that website. You'll find uh, just a wealth of knowledge regarding 529s and how they interact with financial aid. All right, folks, so today I've covered six topics. 
surrounding the 529 plans. Now let's just go ahead and recap here. One, I talked about which plan you should choose and got a little bit into the fees as well. Two, talked about ownership of the account and the fact that your little Johnny or Sally isn't going to use the funds to go out and buy that new fancy car when they turn age majority. Three, I talked about what happens if your little one doesn't go to any sort of higher education, what you can do with that 529 money. Fourth, I talked about distributions and what is considered a qualified distribution, what can come out of that account as a distribution tax-free. Number five, dove into, dived into, dove into, dove into the exciting world of taxes and talked about deductions associated with 529 plans. And lastly, I touched upon, well, I actually rather guided you to the terrific website of www.savingforcollege.com to help unwrap that complicated web world of financial aid. Folks, I've probably talked enough about 529, so I'm going to go ahead and leave it at that today. You know, the real goal of this podcast was to open your eyes and kind of expose you to the world of 529 plans and just to talk a little bit about the benefits associated with these types of accounts. There's just going to be way too much information around these 529s to get it all covered in this podcast, but hopefully I touched upon some of the more popular questions or maybe topics out there, some questions that you may have. But folks, don't be fooled, okay? There's going to be some cons. Not everything's good. There's going to be some cons to these accounts as well. Now, personally, I believe the pros do outweigh the cons, but I want you to make that decision for yourself, please. Remember, there is never a one-size-fits-all when it comes to investing and planning for one's future. So please feel free to contact my office if, you, if you'd like to discuss your personal situation. I have a fee-only financial planning firm here in Kansas City, but we do deal with people all over the country, okay? So again, again, you can find my contact information. I'll give you my podcast website. It's www.higheredretire.com. Okay, folks, thanks again for hanging in there today. This is Greg Shepard with Higher Ed Retire Podcast telling all of you out there to take control of your retirement today. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Retire Podcast. Just because this episode is over doesn't mean you can't continue your retirement journey. Please visit www.higheredretire.com to see how you can work with Greg or to simply ask him a question. Thanks again. S&A Financial Services is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.